They quake, we shake, a little bit different, very similar. Men, non-binary friends, it is I, your host, Sydney Davis Jr. Jr., and I first would like to very much apologize for my absence from posting on this podcast. I think at this point it's been a month. It might even be a couple days over a month. I don't know. But I just want to say I did not forget about you. It has been a wild month. Um, To summarize, I had to take a last second emergency trip to Arkansas, where I'm from, that took three days. Then I quit my day job, woot, but still, you know, that that took time and training and, you know, the, the riffraff that comes with putting in your two weeks notice. Then after that, my dog got COVID, which sounds like BS, but it's real. And it turns out that dog COVID manifests itself as just constant diarrhea. So for about four days, I had to take my dog out every two hours, like clockwork, exactly two hours. It was wild. I'll, I'll skip the gory details. And then immediately after that, she almost got bloat, which if you're unfamiliar with it, is deadly in dogs. So she got dog COVID, got better, was fine for like three days. And now we've been dealing with her like vomiting and crazy stuff. On top of that, I wrote a play that's also being produced right now. It's been wild is what I'm saying. It's been absolutely wild. But I just wanted you to know I'm back to my regular bullshit. And uh, I, uh, yeah, that, I just wanted to fill you in on that because it's been a minute and that's unusual for me. I feel like I usually post two or three episodes a week. That being said, um, I've got something wild to cover today. I know I call everything wild, but this is truly wild. I went to a bookstore today, a used bookstore I'd never been to in here in Nashville, in my neighborhood, and I found a book on a religion that I had never heard of, and I'm reading this book, and I'm Googling things that it's mentioning, and I am very intrigued by what I'm reading, but I'll skip all the, the conversation and just hop right into it. We're going to talk about the Shakers specifically Mother Anne, but the Shakers are not to be mistaken with the Quakers. (laughs) We have Shakers, then we have Quakers. They're very similar. Um, History even tells us that the Quakers had influence on the Shakers, but I had never heard of the Shakers before, and I had never heard of Mother Anne, and I find this religion fascinating, so we're just gonna jump right in. First of all, the Shakers were a heavily women-centric religion, which is wild to me because this religion was prominent in the 1700s. And I don't know about you, but I do not associate the 1700s with, you know, respect for women or feminism or anything like that. But let's just kind of talk about the details of this religion and what separates it from others and what was it like, yada, yada, yada. The Shakers, or the United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing, very long name, they were founded in England in 1747. 
Originally, they were a Protestant sect, so they closest, I suppose, relate to Protestants. But the French, wow, my voice <clears throat> went froggy for no reason. Sorry about that. The French commissards and the Quakers both contributed to Shaker's beliefs. They quake, we shake, a little bit different, very similar. Now, the Shakers believed that Jesus was born of a woman and was the son of a Jewish carpenter and that Jesus was the male manifestation of Christ and the first Christian church. So they had levels of Christian church, the first one being Jesus-centric, um, his birth, his being the son of a Jewish carpenter. That was kind of the focus of the first Christian church. However, the Shakers identified themselves specifically as the second Christian church, and they followed Mother Anne, real woman, we'll talk about her, and they believed that she was the female manifestation of Christ and the second Christian church. So this woman was literally the female Jesus to them. They also believed that men and women were equal. This was a huge thing in Shakerism. And again, fascinated by that in the 1700s because that just seems kind of before its time. I don't know. So let's talk a little bit about Mother Anne. Now, one thing that Mother Anne really focused on, and we'll talk a lot about why, was that the Shakers, Shakerism, was going to heavily focus on sex being a very bad thing and um, celibacy being the basically closest, if not only, way that you could follow God's teaching. Mother Anne was a huge proponent of human beings should not be having sex. They should stay away from each other. Sex is disgusting. Don't do it. Stay celibate. Stay godly. And a lot of people believe that that mentality came from her life. Now, her life was actually really sad. I'm just going to be honest. It was really, really sad the more I learned about her. So Mother Anne Lee was born in Manchester, England. Uh, some people call her Anne Lees. I've seen the name listed as Lees with an S. I've seen it Lee, L-E-E. -E. But she was born on February 29th, 1736, making her a Pisces, if anybody is interested in that. She was the second eldest of eight children, five sons, three daughters. Her mother receives little notice at all in Shaker history. We don't really know anything about her mom, but we don't even, I don't even think we know her name, but we do know that she was listed as an esteemed and very pious woman. Her father, Anne's father, supplemented his earnings by tailoring, and she had an uncle that might have been a London sheriff um, and an alderman, but Anne had no schooling, and it's believed that she was actually illiterate for at least most of her life, if not her entire life, and in her early teens, she worked in a textile mill. Now, Mother Anne is credited with bringing the Shakers from England to the U.S. colonies. She was born and raised Anglican, but would later convert to Shakerism. Now, this was another religion that was basically driven out of England for being overzealous, for not really going with the flow that England wanted, and being subjected to religious persecution. So she would move from England to the United States, and she would bring a lot of people with her. But it was separate than the pilgrims on the Mayflower. They were a whole different group of English people who wanted to bring their religion to America. The turning point in her life came in 1758 when she was 22. In September of that year, she joined a society of religious dissenters led by Jane and James Wardley or Wardlaw, depending on where you read it. Uh, Quaker tailors living in Bolton-on-the-Moors, a bleak little town 12 miles northeast of Manchester. So these were Quakers that were actually kind of 
separating themselves from Quakerism and she started following them and they were actually the founders of Shakerism, even though Mother Anne is attributed with making the biggest change and bringing the most popularity and um, attention to Shakerism. Now, for some time after joining the Wardley Society, Anne Lease, in this book they mention Lease, does not appear to have been a very active member, but four years later, an event occurred which was largely instrumental in confirming her faith and ultimately in elevating her to the position of leadership that she would later take. So she was married on the 5th of January, 1762 to Abraham Standerin or Stanley, again, depending on where you read it, a Manchester blacksmith who may have worked for her dad. And he was known as a lusty, good humor fellow, but apparently he was not kind to Anne. And this marriage goes down in history as very unhappy, quite abusive, both mentally and physically. And there is no record to show that Anne was even into it. This was probably an arranged marriage. They think that maybe they married her off to get her away from the Shakers, but it didn't work, obviously. And the next few years of her life were pretty damn terrible and were likely what led her to start talking about celibacy and men are evil and women are evil if they touch men and all this stuff. So she had four children. But they all died in infancy. Not only that, but apparently their births were really, really difficult and really horrible. Trigger warning, gross talk here. In the case of the last child that she gave birth to, forceps had to be used to remove the child from her womb. And she, Anne, was basically in like a lifeless state for days. They said that she had no appearance of life. They wrecked her health, um, her mental and physical health. And she reacted immediately with guilt, shame, and absolute aversion. She took the deaths of her kids as a series of judgments from God. She was afraid to show any affection to her husband whatsoever, and she began to avoid the marital bed as if it had been made of embers, and that is a quote, as if it had been made of embers, according to her. She was afraid to sleep at all, like not even just sleep with a guy, but she was afraid to sleep as uh, out of fear that she would awaken in hell as punishment for the death of her four children. And at night, she walked the floor in her stocking feet, laboring for a sense of the word of God. So she went nuts. She lost her mind. She was so physically and mentally destroyed by these these births and these deaths of her children that it's said that she wrung her hands she wailed she thrashed she wept and she had such violent night terrors that her husband stopped sleeping in her bed she not only abstained from sleep but but denied herself every gratification of carnal nature eating and drinking only what was quote mean and poor quote that her soul quote might hunger for nothing but god her flesh wasted away and she became so weak that she had to be fed and supported by others the last remains of human depravity were finally discarded, I guess, as she got better, and Anne experienced a complete conversion. She's quoted as saying, My soul broke forth to God, which I felt as sensibly as ever a woman did a child when she was delivered of it. So following the death of her last child in 1766, Anne Lees assumed a much more zealous role in the Wardley Order. So the marriage that they think her parents made her join in order to get away from the Wardleys and away from Shakerism actually did the opposite and drove her closer. Mad apologies if you can hear my dog snoring in the background. She's had a rough day. 
So she basically believed that the horrible time that she went through where she was depressed and and violent and starving and lacking sleep, she felt like actually cleansed her and opened her eyes to God. And she felt like she'd had basically an awakening. So she started to spread the word and the teaching that cohabitation of the sexes was a cardinal sin, the source of all evil. Even before she proclaimed this, in the first wardly meetings that she was able to speak at, she had violent arguments with her husband, Abraham, who complained of his wife's conduct to the cathedral authorities. So she was acting so belligerent and she was so loud proclaiming that human beings like should not have sex, there should be no marriage, there should be no sexuality, that her husband actually complained about her. She had also antagonized her brothers by outspoken diatribes against sin, And she had even made her father mad at her by warning her mother against acts of carnal indulgence. So her mom, like, was told not to have sex with her dad anymore, which pissed her dad off. So Shakerism took off. It got a lot of attention, but not a lot of it was positive at all. Um, She was going around, making a big spectacle of herself, hollering, shouting, waving her hands, getting more people involved. And word began to spread around England, tales of strange worship with its shakings, tongue speaking, dark prophecies that spread throughout the manor and surrounding towns. Charges of fanaticism, heresy, and even witchcraft were raised against the sect, breeding a spirit of intolerance and leading to eventually overt acts of oppression. So this was really the beginning of her starting to see people physically act violent towards her because of Shakerism. Her and other Shakers, but her primarily because they saw her as the head of Shakerism. So this is a personal account from Anne. I don't know where she would have said this. It's worded as though probably in court of some sort, but this is a personal account of her talking about one of her brothers trying to punish her to get her to overcome her will and abandon Shakerism. She says, so he brought a staff about the size of a large broom handle and came to me while I was sitting in my chair and singing by the power of God. He spoke to me, but I felt no liberty to answer. Will you not answer me? Said he. Then he beat me over the face and nose with his staff till one end of it was much splintered. But I sensibly felt and saw the bright rays of the glory of God pass between my face and his staff, which shielded off the blows so that he had to stop and call for drink. While he was refreshing himself, I cried to God for his healing power. He then turned the other end of his staff and began to beat me again. While he continued striking, I felt my breath like healing balsam streaming from my mouth and nose, which healed me so that I felt no harm from his stroke. But he was out of breath like one would have been running a race. So she, I I don't know if that's true. I don't know if this actually happened, um, her brother like beating her with that staff, but she said that he did and she said that God protected her from the blows. Now, Anne would go on to survive a wild amount of attacks from persecutors. For example, at one point, a mob came to stone her to death and they failed. Like somehow all of the stones missed her and she was able to escape. There's not a ton of details on that that I could find other than what happened. But literally, she escaped a stoning and made it out alive. And then at another time, a mob chased her out of town. And a random stranger who did not know she was being run out of town as a heretic saved her life. He was on a horse, and he apparently chased the mob on his horse, demanding that they turn around, they leave her alone, and he saved her life. So once again, she escapes an entire mob out to kill her. 
And then other times it said that people would, people who believed in Shakerism or followers of Shakerism would hide her in places like their attic. Now, obviously, eventually Anne would pass away. It's said that she died old and frail. Some people believe that her frailty and some of her injuries were due to the constant physical abuse and persecution that she um, endured throughout her life. I guess she was beaten up a lot. She was kicked a lot. She was basically mugged by mobs on a regular basis and attacked. And they think that a lot of this led towards her death. She died in September of 1784 in New York. So there you go. Shakerism did not stop with Anne. It didn't. It kept going for a very long time. There was a period of time in that began in 1837 that was called Mother Anne's Second Appearing. The, the accounts of Mother Anne's Second Appearing remind me very much of the Salem Witch Trials. So according to this book, I found uh, The People Called Shakers. That's the title of The People Called Shakers by Edward Deming Andrews on an August day in 1837, a class of young girls, 10 to 14 years old, were meeting for instruction at the gathering order in Niskayuna, where they lived. Suddenly, some of them began to shake and whirl. They began to sing, talk about angels, and describe a journey they were making under spiritual guidance to heavenly places. The next morning, their behavior was normal, but the experience was repeated several times, and when older classes and finally adult members of the family were affected, that's when people really started to take notice. Thus began a remarkable period in Shaker history, a decade or more of strange manifestations known as the New Era, or Mother Anne's Second Appearing, or Mother Anne's Work. Before a year had passed, you know, it started in 1837, before a year had passed, the affliction had affected the members of every society regardless of age. Finally, on a Sabbath afternoon in early spring of 1838, the work opened when Philemon, Philemon Stewart, a member of the church order, came into a meeting so agitated that he needed the support of two brethren and delivered the first direct communication from Jesus and Mother Anne, the, quote, sacred parentage, end quote, of the order. So when people were afflicted by what they believed to be Jesus and Mother Anne, they would suddenly be seized by the power or influence with a trembling or shaking and severity disciplined apparently to compel them to yield and speak what was given of the spirit. Often they would be struck to the floor where they lay as dead or struggling and distressed until someone nearby lifted them up when they would begin to speak with great clearness and composure. Frequently, the seizure was accompanied by a complete loss for hours or days of native speech. The subject would be able to speak only in an unknown tongue or mongrel English and to speak but not be able to talk in English or be able to talk only to the elders. The gift came unexpectedly, usually in meeting, but sometimes in the dining hall, in the shop or field or on a journey. Suddenly, historical records say the instrument or the person afflicted would be whirled like a top, perhaps for an hour or more without experiencing any sensation of dizziness, and he would become prey to jerks or fall in a trance for hours and occasionally for days. This was called the whirling gift. They would believe that they were transmitting thoughts from what they believed was basically heaven to earth and to the shakers still on earth. Messages to these vessels or these afflicted people also came from the apostles, from the prophets Samuel, Elijah, Jeremiah, Malachi, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Esdras. Never heard of Esdras. I'm going to look that one up. 
and from persons famous in history. So sometimes these messages would even come from deceased famous people or just famous people that would speak supposedly into these afflicted individuals and they would give the messages these famous people would want like Xerxes, Alexander the Great, Queen Esther, Napoleon, Lafayette, George Washington, William Penn, and many others. In visions, the mediums traveled into vast unknown reporting on those who had found the reward or punishment or on those who were wandering about seeking the light of truth or the entrance into the shaker heaven. I don't know if they were on drugs. I don't know if perhaps they had a disease going around since it was the 1800s that caused people to hallucinate. And maybe they just formulated these hallucinations into imagined conversations with dead greats from history and Anne and Jesus. But it was wild. It was a wild time to be a shaker, to say the least. Anne then began to directly speak through people. In her first message delivered the 22nd of April, 1838, Mother Anne, speaking through the instrument Philemon Stewart again, pointed out ways in which the church had deviated from the true order. So now, not only was Mother Anne dead, but she was coming back in the century after her death to tell the leaders of the church how they were deviating from the way she wanted the church ran. So not only was she in charge when she was alive, but she was in charge in death as well. It's, it's wild, but they basically followed Anne's rules after she was dead based on these prophets speaking to them and telling them what Anne wanted. Now, the Shakers moved from Europe, as we talked about, to the United States, and they were primarily in the New England area, the Northeast area. I don't believe Shakerism really made it to Oregon or any states on that side of the country, but Shakerism did eventually end. It is not a practiced religion anymore. By 1920, there were only 12 Shaker communities that existed in the United States. And as of 2020, Sabbath Day Lake, Maine was the very last Shaker community in the world. And I believe there was only one Shaker to even live there at the time. And it was Sister June. I don't have a last name for Sister June, but she was living there in Sabbath Day Lake, Maine, and she was practicing Shakerism. Back to Shakerism overall. This was a religion that very much valued Jesus, very much valued Christ, but also valued things that we don't always associate with very strict conservative fundamentalist Christian faiths. We don't see a lot of them that value men and women as equals, especially when they were practiced in the 1700s. We don't see religions that value the teachings of a woman so highly, let alone the daughter of a blacksmith. But Mother Anne did make a huge impact on Shakerism. She made a huge impact on their belief in things like celibacy. Now, I truly believe that Mother Anne was afflicted with horrible mental health. I think that she probably had postpartum depression, PTSD, all sorts of terrible, terrible mental afflictions that were brought on by the death of her children, which is just tragic, and by the forced marriage to a man who was not known to be less than pretty much abusive to her her entire life. But Mother Anne would then go on to found an entire religion that would spread to the United States with lots and lots of members who followed her teaching very, very closely and believed that celibacy was important. They believed that sex was unnecessary. I think maybe 
only in terms of producing heirs, but even then, I don't think Mother Anne approved of that either. This was another religion that was brought to the United States because of persecution and would continue to face persecution for many, many years. Now, I will probably do another episode on the Shakers because I just got this book, uh, The People Called Shakers by Edward Deming Andrews that was published in the 1960s today. But the minute I started reading about um, Mother Anne, I I knew I had to do an episode on her. And so what I want to do is I want to deep dive a lot further into Shakerism and do another episode on exactly what else they believe, knowing that their focus was a lot on like celibacy and, and sexuality between men and women. And they weren't that far from Quakers. So I know that they had a lot of belief in things like piety, but I just wanted to make sure that I got to focus on Sister Anne there for a second because her life was terrible from beginning to end. It, it doesn't really seem, even at the height of her fame, it seems like she was still facing abuse and persecution and just the horribleness that comes with people disagreeing with you and being frightened by you instead of offering valuable mental health assistance and love and kindness. So that is the story, the brief story, even though it's 30 minutes long, of Mother Anne and the Shakers, not the Quakers, the Shakers. And again, highly recommend The People Called Shakers by Edward Deming Deming Andrews, published in 1960 by who's this published by looks like dover press check it out it's really cool it looks like it's going to be a super fast easy read it's very knowledgeable it has a ton of information and that's the end of our episode goodbye thanks